Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. I spend a lot of time in bleachers and, and watching different high school sporting events. Now, over the years, in multiple states... I have enjoyed more swim meets, football and soccer games, volleyball and wrestling matches, track meets, softball and baseball and basketball games than I could ever hope to keep track of. But usually at these things, there's usually a conversation I have with people as I arrive. I'm there to watch students from sometimes both schools that are competing, and depending on the sport, maybe even multiple schools that are competing. And keeping track of all the athletes that are involved beyond the students that I know is pretty difficult. And so in attending these events, I I have these conversations, um, and I end up sitting next to a parent or someone else that I know, uh, of perhaps more than likely of a student I've gone to watch, and I ask the same group of questions. How, How has the season been going so far? Who, who are they competing against today? Are they any good? What, what has been the previous outcome of competing against these teams in the past? You get the idea. That's kind of a formal way of saying it. The conversations are much more casual than that, trust me. But that's kind of how they go. And usually I hear about someone from the other team who is quite good. Now, I can't keep track of these people. I don't know who they are. I don't have the privilege of having watch these different students play all these games through the year and keep track of who was good in junior high or in junior varsity or freshman games, whatever it might be. But I always hear about these different people. Now, in regular sports, it's really easy. I've got a program in front of me. They have a number. I can sort of keep track of it. Well, when many years back, I went to a lot of swim meets. Just so you know, people look different with a swim cap on. And when they're swimming, all you see is flailing arms and backs, right? So you don't, you don't know much. Well, I went to a swim meet, and I was told about one particular athlete who was above and beyond everybody else. And I didn't pay that much attention. I was concerned about the kids I was there to watch. But I sort of took note. I won't remember who this kid is. Maybe I'll notice that he's good, but, you know, kind of how good can he be? Well, it was a short race, like maybe the 50-yard uh, race, And he won like by multiple lengths. I like immediately knew who this guy was by how good he was. I knew that the parents who had told me about this guy from the other school, they were right. He was exceptional. In fact, I remember seeing him over the years at one meet. uh, He actually swam the 500 meter or 500 yard freestyle on the butt with the butterfly instead of the crawl. I mean. That's astounding, just that he would tire it out. And he won it by like multiple laps. That's how good this kid was. You could tell who he was because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. There was no doubt that he was the guy that these people were talking about. And you've probably had the same thing. You've seen someone do something, uh, whether it is an athletic talent or maybe singing or a musical instrument, and you're like, You just stop and you take note and you say, they have an amazing talent. No wonder people talk about them. It's very clear who they are. You've just stopped and you're impressed by what they could do. Well, as we land in our passage today, 
from the book of Luke, we see amazement from the disciples. But it's an amazement beyond what you and I have ever had by someone who could sing well or was good at a sport. Because Jesus was not showing his ability as a gifted athlete or a talented performer. He was doing something else. This miracle that Jesus shows us in our passage today is evidence of who he is. And it shows us the power that he possesses. And so we land here in verse 22 of chapter 8. And and we look at these first two verses from our passage for today. And we see what seems like what is going to be a relatively uninteresting story, right? Because it starts out a little differently than the other passages that we have been seeing. Luke has been using transitional language to move through his book. And usually it says, well, right away or soon after this or that event, this happened. Well, here it's just one day Jesus got into a boat. This doesn't seem like it's altogether that exciting. This language that is used here to transition to this story just just lets us know that one day something happened. Now, it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything all that, that together interesting, right? But it gives us an insight. It gives us an idea of the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? He and his disciples are, are on the move. And, and that's the feel that, that we've been getting quite often here in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus and his disciples, they're going from town to town. And Jesus is teaching in synagogues and out in the open. And, and he's healing people. And throughout this process, Luke has been giving us these indications about who Jesus is. We've seen this over and over. I've mentioned several times during our time in Luke so far together that at no point does Jesus come out and say, I am God. But what does Luke do? Luke, Luke gives us the indications of this over and over again because Jesus is telling people that their sins are forgiven. Who else can do that? He does miracles that are, that are impossible to accomplish unless he is divine. And Jesus is also shown to have insight into the lives of others that, that no other ordinary human would be able to have. Again, this is an important theme that Luke's story is giving us. But as we look at what's happening here, we also are getting a, another idea that Luke also wants us to be very aware of the humanity of Jesus as well. And we see this not only in the fact that Jesus has to travel like a normal person from one part of the the country to another. He's not poofing from here to there in first century Palestine. He has a physical body. He has to travel by his feet. He has to get on a boat. He has a physical element to his being. But we also see this in that while Jesus is sailing here, we read that he falls asleep. Jesus gets tired. He gets tired like you and I do. Jesus needs to rest. So let's just quickly think back at who we've seen Jesus to be in Luke so far. Let's think about this divine nature that I keep on saying that Luke wants us to understand about Jesus. Remember, uh, He was told of, before his coming, in an announcement by an angel. He's obviously pretty important, right? 
Uh, he was born, and, and the angels came, and they heralded his arrival. This guy is of substantial significance. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he prevailed where all others have failed. He has healed people of various diseases and, and other maladies, and he has even done these healings at times without being present with the people that he has healed. So you would think if anyone would ever be found to be immune from those moments when our eyes get heavy and we can't stay awake, you think it would be Jesus. You think this man who has all this power, who was announced by angels, that he is more than that. He is, he's not going to get tired. He can, he can do anything. But here we see that Jesus falls asleep. He needs to rest. He is human, just like you and I. And as I've said, Jesus uh, has been established by Luke to have this divine nature. And I went through all these things that show of his importance and, and of his power. But let's also think about how Luke has used those same things to show us the humanity of Jesus as well. While Mary was told of, of this coming of the Messiah by an angel, an angel told her, Jesus didn't come on the scene by, by magical means. But instead he was arriving by an ordinary means, just like any ordinary human. And while his birth was heralded by the heavenly hosts, the shepherds who heard the message make their way to see him. And what do they find? An ordinary baby who was crying, who, who needed to sleep, who needed to eat, who needed to be changed. And yes, Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan in the wilderness, but when we look back at those temptations, what did we find? Jesus was fasting and he was hungry. He had a human appetite. And clearly, Luke is pointing to not only the divinity of Jesus in his gospel, he's pointing to the humanity here. And now we are once again reminded of this truth about who Jesus is as they are making their way across this lake and Jesus needs to close his eyes, and he needs to be refreshed in the midst of all this teaching and all this healing that he's doing. And as they're making their way across the lake, we're told that a windstorm comes down on the lake. So we're not that familiar with the, the geography and the topography of first century Palestine. So it's important that we understand here this language, it, it comes down. Well, the reason it says that is because the Sea of Galilee, which is the lake they are on, uh, it's 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by these mountains, these hills. And so this body of water can quickly have weather form over it. It isn't like here, where we can see the horizon from end to end, right? And if there's a storm coming, we're looking at it. Boy, I sure hope it rains, but you can't tell because it's so far away. On the Sea of Galilee, it would come over and the storm was on you like nothing. It, it was so quick. So let's, let's think through what's happening here as, as we see that these disciples are in danger. Now, several of the people with Jesus on this boat were fishermen. They spent a lot of time in boats. Now, the only boat I ever spent any significant time in was my dad's very small uh, fishing boat. And uh, we only went to small lakes around where I grew up. I've never really had experienced much of a wave until several years back, when I was in my late 20s, a group of older men from our church invited me to go with them to South Bass Island on Lake Erie. 
we were going to spend the afternoon there, and we had a great boat ride over it. I, I didn't feel sick at all. It was great. We get to South Bass Island. We get out. We're sitting and enjoying the lobster, lobster bisque at the Boardwalk restaurant there on South Bass Island, and suddenly I feel a breeze. And it continues as we're on the island. It continues to build up. And by the time this South Dakota rural flatland guy who doesn't, didn't grow up around any lakes gets back on the boat, the waves on Lake Erie had to be six feet. And let's just say, I don't know at any point I was scaring, uh, fearing for my life, but I got sick. <laughs> I was miserable. If I would have been on the boat and it started to move a little bit with this storm, I would have freaked out. But these disciples who were fishermen, they're seeing waves and they're freaking out. They've seen this before. This was a serious storm. This isn't just a mild breeze and a few sprinkles like I would be concerned about. This storm was so bad that these hardened fishermen are afraid. So as we move to verses 24 and 25, we see these men who are usually probably very used to these storms. They're waking up Jesus and The reason that they do this is expressed to us in what we see them say here. They believe they're going to perish. Now, I wonder what they expected Jesus to do. They've seen him do miracles, but their reaction to what Jesus does, you know, we've read through the whole passage, their their reaction to what Jesus does here is surprise. Um, They don't expect him to do what he does. So my question is, what exactly were these Uh, disciples expecting Jesus to do? Were were they waking him up so that they could let him know that he's going to die or something? Um, uh, Were they hoping that maybe uh, he had something that could help them stay afloat? I I don't know. Regardless, they they wake him up, and certainly they're glad that he did, or they did. And you just have to love the way, and it's very terse, isn't it, that Luke, the way that Luke tells us what happens here, this is a miracle of miracles, right? I mean, this is astounding. And yet it's just one sentence here in our ESV translation, one sentence. And basically it tells us that Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, they ceased, and then there was calm. I mean, this is essentially, we we know about the calm before the storm, this is the storm before the calm. This is really short, very terse, like I said. And as I was processing through this, I'm thinking, really, Luke? That's all you have to tell us here. This one sentence about this amazing miracle. Can you give us a hint at the the words that that Jesus had to say? Can you you tell us just how calm it got and how quickly it happened? This is fantastic, but we don't know much about this miracle really at all, do we? Again, just one very short sentence. But, you know, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and we believe that the words that the Holy Spirit has given, has divinely inspired here to Luke are more than enough to get the message across that that we need to hear. So Luke is once again confirming for us here with this story this divine nature that Jesus has. He has reminded us with the the sleep, with the, the nap that Jesus is taking, that Jesus is human. And now we see the divine nature of Jesus because because Jesus speaks, and of all things, the weather listens to him. Now, as, we, as we'll confess uh, later on today, uh, in the words of the Nicene Creed, we do understand that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. And this story beautifully shows us this truth. And I think the short way that the story is told drives this point home to us 
so we can see it clearly. Because all Jesus has to do is speak, and the words are enough. The wind obeys him. So think back to the story of creation. God speaks and creation comes forth. You see, this isn't an incantation that Jesus is speaking here. He, he doesn't have his wizard's wand and he's swirling it up and undoing the storm. He just speaks. He commands. He's in control. It's not magic words. Jesus is divine. And he has divine authority. When he speaks, creation obeys because it's subject to him. When he speaks, nothing can resist, not even a storm. And it isn't that it subsided a little and and they were able to get to the shore. We read here that it's calm. The winds and the waves cease. So these were powerful words from the mouth of the God-man who has authority. But this isn't the end of the powerful words that we hear from the mouth of Jesus today. The question that he asks his disciples in this passage are powerful too. Look what he says here. Where is your faith? Now these words are powerful, not only to the men in the boat on that day, but they're powerful for you and I as well. As we read this, it's easy for us to think that Jesus is being kind of harsh with the disciples here, right? They they legitimately thought they were in danger. They thought they were going to die. This is scary stuff. And Jesus asked his disciples this question, where is your faith? Because these men have seen Jesus perform many miracles. We've been following along here at home, right, in the book of Luke, and the evidence is right in front of us that Jesus is divine. It's very, very clear. These men have to know, or at least have a hunch, that Jesus is the Messiah, that that he's the anointed one of God. And yet, what do we see here in the practicality of the way they live their lives? They think that the plan of God, this this plan that God has for his Messiah, can be thwarted by a storm. And that Jesus isn't able to protect them and himself from a storm. So in this statement that Jesus makes, he's indicating to them that they should know who he is. And that they should trust that the will of God is going to be done. He is the anointed one of God. God is going to do his good will through him. And as I said, this question... Where is your faith? These are powerful words, not just for the disciples, but for us. A significant application for us in this passage, then, is that you and I know who Jesus is. And yet, we often find ourselves to be those of little faith. And this is a daily struggle for us, right? God has revealed himself to us in his word. And the Holy Spirit has confirmed this in our hearts by blessing us with the gift of faith. And yet what happens? We, we fight doubts. We rebel against God in our sin, in our daily lives. We, we know who Jesus is. We know that his plan is the plan that is best for us. We know that his word is to have authority in our lives, and yet we choose our own paths. And Jesus calls his disciples here to obedience and faith. And we have to remember that we are his disciples as well. And so may these words fall on our ears and may the Spirit be at work in us to grant us repentance and faith to trust this one that we know 
to be the God-man who has suffered and died to bring us to himself. And as the passage closes up here, we read the reaction of the disciples. And it once again shows us the significance of this miracle. Who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And we know the answer. And it isn't because I've been throwing you the answer through the entire message today, right? I've, I've been telling you the answer. You can read this and know the answer to this question without me giving you the, the cheat on, on what it is, right? What is happening here is we are seeing that Jesus is defined because no one except God can do something like this. By the power of what Jesus has done he is making this truth that He is divine infinitely clear for His disciples and for us. And so the ultimate question that comes from this is what do we do with Jesus? It was the question for the people who came in contact with Him in the first century. And it's the question that the Holy Word of God puts before us today. It's clear who Jesus is. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and all honor and glory and praise are due to Him. And we are blessed to know even more about who Jesus is. In this story, we, we also saw not only that He is divine, but we saw His humanity as He slept in the boat. And we know that it was in His humanity that he willingly went to the cross, that he willingly suffered and died to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. And so he is worthy of praise from us, not just because of his divine power to calm the storm, but also because of what he did for us in his humanity. And that is to suffer and die for his people. And today, as we, as we come to the table, we're blessed to taste and see as we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We consume the elements in faith and with trust that God is at work in us through His Word and Spirit. And we touch those elements knowing that it was in our very own flesh that this One who is so powerful that He commands the winds and the water, yet He subjected Himself to death that we might receive His salvation and taste His goodness. So what do we do with Jesus when we understand these great truths of who He is? We come to Him in faith. And we subject ourselves to His authority. And we desire to conform our lives to His Word that we might be His faithful witnesses to the saving work that He has accomplished for us. And so as we come to the day, table today, and as we hear His Word today, as we receive the sacrament, as we, as we remember these words about Jesus, may the Spirit be at work in us that we might live lives that bring glory to the Holy One of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.